0: Hey, everybody. Great to connect with you today. Uh, Looking forward to our time together. I got a few thoughts I want to share with you that I think will be helpful, especially in the season that we find ourselves in right now. Been taking a few weeks uh, and thinking about um, my identity in Christ, your identity in Christ. Um, Your sense of identity is powerful. Uh, It's important who are you really and what do you think about yourself because what you think about yourself, what you think about what you're involved in is so important uh, to guide your life. Uh, Everybody has some kind of sense of identity and the people who study this sort of thing, uh, they will say that most of us will... Pick a persona, an identity uh, that closely aligns, makes us feel good about ourselves, and then we keep adapting ourselves to fit that identity. So, like when you're in high school, you can have the identity of a stoner, <laughs> <laughs> which is the identity I had uh, when I was in high school uh, before I met the Lord. Uh, you can have the identity of a of a prep person or a jock or a geek or um, or maybe now a goth type person and usually people find an identity and they keep adapting toward that identity. It's possible that you have the identity of a victim uh, and you always feel like life is against you or you could have the identity of a victor. you're victorious in Christ and no matter what comes at you, You feel like you can win with Jesus helping you win. Uh, You can have the identity of a person who is flourishing in life. And even if you encounter difficulties, you know that you are the kind of person who overcomes uh, difficulty. Or you could have the identity of a struggling person. And it seems like everything's always against you. Uh, I think it's very possible for people to assume an identity of a rebel. Uh, They can't fit in. There's always got to find something wrong with the church, with the city, with the job, with the friends, and there's kind of a rebel and that's their identity. And there's other people that get the identity of being like a team player and they understand the power of team and the power of unity. And all of us wear different hats in life. We have uh, different roles that we play. And one of those usually becomes kind of a central piece of identity for us. Um, It's possible that uh, a mom with kids, she could either have an identity of being a wife who has kids, or she could take the identity of, of of a mom who has a husband. In other words, the wife identity is putting the marriage relationship first and foremost and central. But, but I, you know, kids, they pull on your energy, they, they pull on your time, they pull on your emotions, and it's easy to slip over into being thinking of yourself as a mom who happens to have a husband. I honestly believe that um, that choosing an identity for myself of being a husband— who pastors a church has been helpful for me Rather than having the identity of a pastor who happens to have a wife. And so, by putting my relationship with Suzette first, uh, I think it's been able, enabled me to have a healthy life and a healthy marriage, and probably enabled me to be a, a healthier pastor, even. God's word always gives us a great sense of identity. The enemy's always trying to steal it away from us, but. When, when you know who you are, who God says you are, um, when you know who, what life is supposed to be about, the way God describes life, it's always going to lead us to living uh, an extraordinary life, a great life. And so today, I want to take a few moments and I want to talk about this idea. Remember Who's in charge here? Remember who's in charge here. With all the craziness that's going on in our society, in the political realm, uh, and just amongst people with COVID, with everything that's going on, Deciding and understanding a sense of identity and your alignment with who's in charge is really going to make a big difference. So uh, I want to look at a passage in the Message Translation, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 20. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death, set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe, Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. Not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Let me give you a couple of ideas here. Number one is this. Jesus is in charge of everything. (laughs) That's what this passage is telling us. And could I just remind you, he's not worried about anything. God is on the throne. Jesus is in charge. Ephesians 1, verse 20 and 21, He raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Here's what the Bible tells us Jesus is far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, every name that is named. That means Jesus is above President Joe Biden, Jesus is above Donald Trump, Jesus is above Mark Zuckerberg, who runs Facebook. Jesus is above Jeff Bezos, who runs Amazon. In other words, the Bible is clear in telling us Jesus is the head over all things, not just religious things, all things. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's And all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. It's good to know that somebody who is wise and loving and cares is in charge here. It's good to know that someone who knows what they're doing is in charge here. God loves this planet. God has a plan for this planet. Nothing that's happening is escaping God's notice right now. Nothing that's happening is above his capability. Jesus is in charge of everything. We got to remember that. The second idea is this. The one who is in charge of everything is in charge of the church. Ephesians 1.22 says, he is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the the big C church, (laughs) the church all around the planet. Jesus is the head of every local church. Jesus is the head of the rock church. Jesus is the head of the church. But he's not just the head of the church. Like, he's sequestered off into some, the head of a religious institution. He is the head of all things. And the head, or the one who's in charge of all things, happens to be the one who's in charge of the church. We serve the one who is in charge of everything. He, the head of all things, is head of the church. The third idea that I want to talk about today is this. The church is central to God's plan for the earth. So Ephesians one twenty three, one of my favorite verses out of the message especially. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. You know, we're talking about a sense of identity. I believe the church, which is you and me, the people who make up the body of Christ, the family of God in the earth, the ecclesia, the called out ones who are joined together. We are the church. The church can have an identity crisis. With all the craziness that's going on right now, it's more than likely that you're not going to watch the news or watch a movie or listen to popular music and get the idea, oh, the church is at the center of everything. No, most people are trying to push the church to the edges, to the periphery of life. But the church is at the center of everything God wants to do in the earth, everything God has planned to do uh, in the earth, everything that God has in his heart, he wills to do, the Bible says he's gonna do it through his church. Ephesians 1 verse 23, that's out of the New American Standard, says the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. The the church is his body. The head, Jesus, makes a decision that the body acts out. The body speaks out. Jesus rules the earth through his church. He does his will in the earth through the church. See, the, the church is not some religious institution that just sits on the corner, kind of a side issue in life. Uh, Church is God's idea. And not only is church God's idea, but God has ideas about his church. And I would venture to say that there are many people who are the church, who are part of a church, that have, because of... uh, afraid to come to meetings or concerned about being in a meeting, about concerned about gathering together. The church has been pushed more and more into the periphery of their life because of all the things that have been happening in the past year. But the church is central to everything God wants to do in the earth. I love this story in Genesis 28 about Jacob. The Bible says, Jacob twenty-eight eleven. Genesis 28 11, Jacob came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of the place, put it under his head, lay down in that place, and he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 16 says, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not even know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Come on, the supernatural intersection point of heaven meeting the earth is the church. And, and Jacob was so impacted by this experience that he was like, how awesome is this place where heaven intersects the earth, where the church is the gate of of heaven. God walks through the church to get into the earth. People walk through the church to get in touch with heaven. I like, I like what the way Jesus said this. Matthew 16, 18. He says, I say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of revelation, that Jesus is the Christ, I'm going to build my church. The gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not overpower it, I will give you, the church, the keys, the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. I love this idea. Jesus says, I will build my church. The gates of hell will never prevail against it. Come on, can I just remind you today? Government will come and go. Republicans will come and go. Democrats will come and go. But God's church will endure. Economies rise and fall, but God's church endures. Tyrants around the earth rise and fall, but God's church endures. Styles and trends and ideas about life come and go, but the church will endure. The enemy will never be able to take out the church. Isaiah 2:2 says it'll come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, the, the highest, and it'll be raised above the hills. All the nations will stream to it. The most important house in Asheville is the house of God. God raises up his church to be the highest in all the earth. High above government, high above my house, high above your house, high above education, high above any of the music, arts, high above all things is his church. It's it's really true. And if it's true, if that is really the way God gives I that's the identity God gives to his church, then our connection to the house of God is the most important connection in our life. It is the one we place high priority on that connection because that is the way God, who is in charge, is going to perform his plan on the earth. The last idea I want to talk about for a few moments is this number four. You got to make the connection between your house and God's house if the church is central in God's heart, if it's not peripheral, then for you and for me, we have to make the church central in our lifestyle, in the way that we live our life, that it doesn't become a peripheral issue in our world. One of my favorite stories, Second Chronicles 9, says the queen of Sheba heard of the famous Solomon. So she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with difficult questions. She had a very large retinue, posse of people, with camels carrying spices, a large amount of gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was on her heart. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from Solomon which he did not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house which he had built, the food at his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their attire, his cupbearers and their attire, and, and I want to remember this, his stairway by which he went up, to the house of the Lord, she was breathless. Then she said to the king, it was a true report, which I heard about in my own land, about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe their reports until I came. My eyes had seen it. Behold, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpass the report that I heard. I love this story. The queen of Sheba is blown away by the quality of Solomon's life. I think that's a great goal for all of us to aspire to, that when people show up at our house, when people show up at our church, when people show up at our business, when people show up to our world, that they go, wow, this is Twice as good as what I've heard. That the reality is better than the marketing. The, the substance is better than the story that's been told. Seth Godin wrote a book several years ago called Purple Cow, which was about uniqueness. But he made this comment. It says, we need to make, we need to understand that we need to make remarkable products or services and not just have remarkable marketing for people products or mediocre things. Let's determine, you and I, that we're going to live this extraordinary life, this life that makes people go, wow, that people look at our marriages and they go, wow. They look at our kids, they go, wow. They look at our church, they go, wow. They look at our worship, they go, wow. They look at our friendships and they go, wow. Wow. We, we could be those that, that make everything remarkable when we get our hands on it. The truth is, troubles come and troubles go. Trials come, trials go. Storms come, storms go. But our faith is out to live remarkably for God. That people would look at even the way we handle our trials our storms, our, our troubles, and they would go, wow. You know, it's, it, it's important as a family of believers that we cry with each other, that we pray with each other, that we stand with each other, that, that we, we, are, we are with each other in every way, but our faith is still out there to live remarkably. We're not just gonna come down to the level of, pain and suffering and difficulty and say that's just the way it is. No, our identity is God is making us an overcomer and we're going to rise up above it. I want you to notice the list of things that the Queen of Sheba is impacted by. Solomon's wisdom, the house which he'd built, the food at his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their attire, the way they looked, his cupbearers and their attire and the ha- his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. She, it, the Bible says that she was not only impressed by, by the, the Capitol building, so to speak, but she was impressed by his house because, you know, when you put God's house first, God will take care of your house and you'll always come out in a better way. The Bible records the building of Solomon's house, but also records Solomon building the house of the Lord. Your house, God wants to bless. Your house is more than just the building that your family resides in. Your your house is your style, your, your family, the love that's in your family, the legacy that your family Carries The order, the excellence, the appearance, the substance of all those things around Solomon made her go, wow, may, may we aspire to that as the church, as believers in Jesus. But this, this little phrase has caught my attention before. She was impressed by the stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. Solomon had a stairway connected to his house that was connected to the house of the Lord. It it was a noticeable feature of his life. Uh, There was was a, a, a place that people could see, a stairway that ran from his house to God's house, that ran from God's house to his house. And Solomon's path, Solomon's stairway to, from his house to God's house, the Bible says it was remarkable. It was impressive. It was designed into his life. It was on purpose. And I would say that while so much of the world and even a handful of Christians, to be honest, are trying to marginalize the glory of the house of God and the beauty of the house of God and the connection to the house of God, could I just remind us that the Bible is our pattern for living and the the Bible is telling us that church is God's idea. Jesus loves his church. (laughs) Jesus died for his church. Jesus is building his church. Asheville, Western North Carolina needs our church, not just our church, but we together that make up this spiritual family, we got to recognize Asheville needs our church to be remarkable, to be strong, to be extraordinary, I honestly believe with all my heart that strong prevailing life-giving churches are going to be the hope of the world. Can I encourage you to build a store a stairway or repair the stairway between your house and God's house? Maybe there's been some neglect over this past season. Maybe there's been some other things that have crowded in. Maybe you've never even thought about this idea about making it a prominent feature in your life, your connection, the connection of your house to God's house, of God's house attached to your house. Come on, I'm calling on men to step forward into this. I'm calling on women to step into this. I'm calling on teenagers to step into this. I'm calling on young adults to step into this idea that you're building a conduit, a stairway that in your schedule or in your lifestyle or in your values in life, that your house is connected to God's house and God's house is connected to your house and that it would be just like Solomon. In his pathway, his stairway from his house to God's house, it was remarkable. It was impressive. It was noticeable. It was designed. It was on purpose. If you do this, it will be a channel of blessing to your house. And your house will be a channel of blessing to God's house. Psalm 92 Verse 12 and 13 says, The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Come on, we got we to continue to understand. We can't forget. We got to remember who's in charge here and how he does his work in the earth. People get saved in the house of God. Worship encounters happen in the house of God. People meet their spouse in the house of God. Children are raised up in a a God-loving, children-loving environment. Mindsets are changed. Bodies are healed. Anointings are released. Discipleship takes place. Best friends are found in the house of God. Hey, listen, this isn't just about going to church. It's about building out of your heart a noticeable connection between your house and God's house. Come on, make it strong, make it meaningful. Make it vital. Make it brilliant. Make it remarkable. The emotional and spiritual attachment of God's house to your house, of your house, to God's house. It, this is about a big buy-in between our house and God's house. Can we have a partner together, with e- each other and with God to build an extraordinary church? Come on, remember. Who's in charge here? Remember what's the most important thing to sink your your, your major assets of time and resources and talents and, and just your emotional strength. Remember, don't push the church to a periphery role in your life in your schedule, in your energy, in your involvement, in your talents, in your resources. Hey listen, I'm, I'm committed to this idea. The next season of our church could be the greatest season of our church because this season is calling us to, we can't just play the ordinary game anymore. We've got to step into the remarkable game for the glory of God. We are the church and Jesus releases the ultimate authority of heaven, That comes into the earth, it comes through his church. The keys of the kingdom of God are given to the church. We can bring healing, we can bring hope, we can bring love, we can bring blessing into the earth. Come on church, I'm calling on you to build a stairway between your house and God's house that will bring glory to God and watch healing come into this planet. I just want to take a moment and pray with you. I know God wants to bring blessing to your house. God wants to bring blessing to your life. And it may be that as you're watching this, the truth is you haven't even begun the journey of a relationship with Jesus. I would love to pray with you. Maybe through, through this past season, you have found yourself knocked out of the race, knocked out of closeness in your relationship with the Lord. Come on, this is a great day for you to come home. Or maybe you just feel unsure about where you stand today. So I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. Just say these words after me. Everybody, come on, let's say, Lord Jesus, I open my life to your love and to your Lordship. I need you. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned. I come to the cross where you've paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start. It's a new beginning as I surrender to you. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you.